0: What a great time last Sunday night, singing, worshiping the Lord together. We'll have another night like that soon. Time will change. It'll be daylight longer, and we can all try to squeeze in the room together and just worship the Lord. And Sometimes I get asked, hey, you know, why don't you preach more sermons on, you know, how to have a better family? Why don't you preach more sermons on how to be a better husband or a better wife or better Better children, that's always one that's highly requested. Would you preach something, Pastor, on how to be better children? Pastor, why don't you preach on uh, how to be a a better employee or a better boss or a better leader? How how come we don't hear sermons here a lot that are about how to to reach your greatest potential as a person? And I'm not saying those things aren't good topics and, and worth some focus and some attention from time to time. But... I'm convinced that the greatest way to be the greatest family you can be, the greatest husband, greatest wife, greatest people, greatest boss, employee, employer, person in your community, person on your team, whatever the role is that you play, the way to be the greatest at that, maximum joy in that, meaning fulfillment in that, the path to that is this, to live like a heat-seeking missile that's locked in on Jesus. Seeking him first above all else and his kingdom and his righteousness. And he says everything else will be taken care of if we'll just do that. To seek his kingdom, not ours. His agenda, not ours. His story, not ours. His righteousness, not our self-righteousness, not our good doings that we may do. But locked in on his kingdom and in his righteousness, Jesus said to seek first. And he's saying, and keep seeking. Don't just like at Bible school one year, you decided I'm going to be saved. I'm going to seek first God's kingdom. Then you didn't think about it anymore. No, what Jesus says is seek first and keep on seeking first. The kingdom of God. And His righteousness, His righteousness, not this idea that you can become righteous on your own work, your own effort, your own good doing, but you be locked in on the goodness of God, the beauty of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God, the salvation of God. You get locked in on Him and His kingdom and His story and His agenda and His righteousness that is available to us by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And when we live like heat-seeking missiles locked in on that, man, our marriages, our families, our homes, our lives, our workplaces, wherever we may be, and it will be that way, but not not because of anything that we're doing, but because His kingdom will have come and His will will be being done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's what we long for, and that's what we're after. We're in Matthew chapter 5 today. We're going through the book of Matthew, and Jesus is talking a lot about the kingdom. We're at that section in Matthew called the Sermon on the Mount, and we're just kind of walking through that together. And I think the reality is if we all focused on being who Jesus says we are in Christ, if we all focused on being citizens of the kingdom of heaven, just imagine that, right? Like if we all focused at least as much on being citizens of His kingdom as we do on the politics in our own nation, how different would our life be? How different would our society be? If we focus and if we live like that, being citizens of the kingdom of heaven, seeking first Him, His kingdom, His righteousness, in the process then God changes us into the people that He has created us to be. And I don't think I'm oversimplifying this when, when I tell you He's the way, the only way that we will reach our full potential in this life. There's no tips or advice or lessons that I can dole out to you that's going to put you on that path. There is no path to that. Jesus alone is the path to that. Following him, seeking first his kingdom, his righteousness. Okay, so you got that? that, was, that, wasn't, that was just, that's not even a sermon. That's just like out of the gate with that. Can I tell you something that I really don't like? I'd say hate, but little kids always get on to me in church when I say the word hate because their parents are raising them well. I'm going to tell you something I really don't like, cliffhangers. You know what I'm talking about? You're watching that television show, you're watching that movie, and then it doesn't doesn't end. Like the story isn't completed. And and then the words come up, to be continued. Uh, Are you kidding me? I got to know what happens, I got to know where this story goes, I got to know how it's going to play out, I need to know is the wrong going to be made right, I need to know is good going to win over evil, I need to know what's going to happen, I need to know who shot Jr. (laughs) To be honest, I never concerned myself about that, I think I was like seven at that time. But some of y'all, you were tuned in like we got to know who shot, for some of you in your generation, it's I got to know who shot John Dutton. I knew y'all would act in church like you don't watch that show. Like nobody made a peep. Like everybody's sitting there like, I don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> I know y'all. Will Jim and Pam get together? What about Ross and Rachel? Is the canoe wood or aluminum? Right? These are the questions that we want answered. And I don't know if you realize it, but the Bible in Jesus' day was a cliffhanger. The Bible that Jesus had in his day, that his disciples had, that the people on that grassy hillside that day when Jesus delivering on the Sermon Sermon on the Mount, it was a cliffhanger story. Because all they had is the Old Testament. They, They didn't have the New Testament. It hadn't happened yet. It hadn't been written yet. Their Bible in the first century sort of ended with to be continued. Don't do it right now, but when you have some more time, just go read the last chapter of the Old Testament, and it sounds like an advertisement for a future episode. And then it just ends, and you have no idea, well, how is that going to happen? How's that going to be? Who's going to do that? How are we going to get from where we are right now? to that place and it just ends and the screen dims and the words come up sort of that say to be continued and the credit starts rolling and you're sitting there going okay but what's God going to do now how's God going to take us from this place to that piece what's going to happen to his people what's going to happen to his promises what's going to happen to his prophecies and we just wait and when that last to be continued came up there in the Old Testament, they had to wait. And I don't mean they had to wait till the next Thursday night for the next episode. And I don't mean they had to wait till the next season when Netflix released the next one you could binge on. I mean they waited, and they waited, and some of them waited until they died. Generations came and waited, and generations went in their waiting, still waiting. For 400 years they waited, and then Jesus came. He came, and we find Him today, in Matthew chapter 5, sitting on that hillside, the greatest preacher ever, preaching the greatest sermon ever, and we pick it up in verse 17. He says this, don't think, now here's, here's what we're doing in Matthew, we're calling this sermon series different. Because Jesus is different, right? Another word for that is holy. We're we're using the word different. He's different. And His kingdom is different. And and, in the Beatitudes we looked at several weeks ago, He told us kingdom people have different attitudes. A couple of weeks ago, He told us kingdom people have a different purpose, you're the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world. And today the implication is kingdom people think differently. Jesus is looking at a bunch of people who would be prone to think one way, but he's calling us to think a different way in his kingdom. So he leads out with don't think, don't think this, but think this. Don't think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, he says, but to fulfill. In other words, Jesus is saying, I've not come to cancel the Old Testament. I've not come to delete the Old Testament. I've come to define it. I've come to fulfill it." He's looking at these people going, I know Moses is your guy. I'm not here to cancel Moses. I'm here to complete Moses and the works of Moses. He says, verse 17, don't think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. Notice he says the law and the prophets. That's a general way of Jesus saying the entire Old Testament. From the law, the Torah, the first five books, all the way to the last prophet at the end, Jesus is saying the whole Old Testament, the law, the history, the poetry, the prophets, all of that, Jesus is including all of that. And he's saying this, It's all about me. I'm not here to get you to turn from it, I'm here to get you to turn to it. Because it's all about me. Every story, every promise, every prophecy, every vision, every poem, it all culminates in one person, and His name is Jesus. It's His story. Now this is a massive claim that Jesus is making on that day. He's not saying, hey, look at all this stuff, and I'm the next character. He's not the next character, He's the character. He's not saying, I know you've had a lot of chapters, and I'm the next chapter. He's not the next chapter. He's the chapter. He's not the next character in the next chapter of the story. He is the character, the chapters of the story. He is the story, the whole story. And he's claiming to be every letter of every word on every verse of every page of every chapter. It's all about him from the beginning of it to the end of it. It's his story. He is Alpha and Omega. He's the A to the Z and everything in between. Jesus is saying, I'm not here to erase that story, I am here to complete that story. He said, I'm not here to compete with Moses, I'm not here to compete with all that, I'm here to complete all of that. Verse 18, he says, for truly, for truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or one stroke of a letter will pass away from the law until all things are accomplished. Jesus just said there's a reason that all that is there. There's a reason every letter is there, where it is, how it is. There's a reason it's there. The reason it's there is to complete and fulfill every purpose that God has determined will be accomplished. God's word will always accomplish its purpose. Did you know that? Just try to stop it. Just try to stop it. When God says, let there be light, darkness didn't have a chance. When God says to Lazarus, come out of that grave, death didn't have a chance. When God said to the storm, cool your jets, stop, the lightning didn't have a chance. God's Word is living, it is active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It is unstoppable. It will cut through any adversary that would try to stop it from completing the purposes that God has set forth for it. And Jesus says even the smallest letter, even the smallest pin stroke of his word is not going anywhere until it has reached the divine destination that has been given, until it has accomplished the purposes and the plans that God has. Whatever was in the mind of God, the heart of God, whatever came out of the lungs of God, whatever it was that carried men of God to be carried along by the Holy Spirit to write down the word of God, it will accomplish. It's God's God's given purpose. Not one dot on an I is gonna fail. Not one crossing of a T is going to fail. It will not be stopped. Not one letter is ever gonna rebel against God and decide to do something different. And God Himself will never go against His Word. Every word of God's Word will accomplish its purpose. And what's Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, I'm the purpose. All of that finds its fullness in me. It's me, He's saying. I am the purpose. that's important that we understand what Jesus is saying there because there were people then and there's people now who would say, ah, that stuff doesn't really matter. The Old Testament's really not important. We're we're New Testament people, so we don't have to read that. We don't have to know that. That's really not for us. But listen to what Jesus says, verse 19. He says, therefore, how many of you have studied before in Bible and you get to that word, therefore, do you remember the question you ask when you say the word, therefore? Yeah, he said, what's that therefore, therefore? (laughs) I know it's corny, but it's a good reminder that everything that came before that word therefore is leading us to the next thought. So Jesus just said, everything in the Old Testament finds its fulfillment in me, therefore whoever breaks one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is the Word, amen? He's the Torah, He's the history, He's the poems, He's the prophecy, He's the Word. He's the law. So when you don't obey God's law, you don't obey Jesus. And when you lead others away from obeying the law of God, you're leading people away from obeying Jesus. And remember Jesus is talking to kingdom people here. He's talking to redeemed people, he's talking to saved people here. But even saved people, I don't know if you know this or not, but even saved people can sometimes disobey God. Sometimes even saved people can lead other people to disobey God. And Jesus says, "If you're in my kingdom, and you're disobeying me, and you're leading other people to disobey me, you are least in my kingdom. And you may say, well, pastor, that really doesn't bother me because at least I'm in his kingdom. That's enough for me. I don't really have to think too much about what I do, or if I'm obedient, or leading other people to be disobedient, because it's all under the blood. I'm saved. I'm a child of God. So I I really can do whatever I want to do. If that's what you're thinking right now, I would suggest you are not a child of God. If you're a child of God, if you've been saved, the Holy Spirit has converted you, given you new life, and you don't care about sin, you don't care about godliness, you don't care about the glory of God, you just think it's a free pass, and now your whole life is like Disneyland because Jesus paid it all? You need to give your life to Christ today. You're you're deceiving yourself as you sit here in this place today, but it is entirely possible that you can be truly saved and at times be disobedient to God. It's also very possible that you can be a child of God and at times you can be leading others to be disobedient to God. And sometimes we lead other people to be disobedient to God actively. What I mean by that is because I am actively disobeying God And I'm influencing other people, now I'm leading other people to also disobey God. But there's another way that we can lead people to disobey God. Not only do we lead people to disobey God actively, but sometimes we're leading people to disobey God passively. Sometimes we're leading people to disobey God because we won't say something. Sometimes we lead people to disobey God because we won't speak up, because we won't have a conversation, because we don't love them enough, nor God enough, to step in and say, hey, Can we talk? Can we pray? Can we sit down? Can I have five minutes? And Jesus says when his people disobey him and lead other people to disobey him, be that in an active way or a passive way, he says you are least in his kingdom. You're last in his kingdom. See, Jesus doesn't give everybody in his kingdom the same little participation trophy. He doesn't do that. There's obedience, there's faithfulness, there's results, there's rewards, there's consequences. The reality is today in the kingdom of heaven, you need to know this, I think what Jesus is saying here is in my kingdom, I got champs and I got chumps. The chumps, they disobey me, they lead other people to disobey me. But the champions in my kingdom, man, they're seeking first my kingdom, my righteousness, And they're leading other people to do the same. He's saying, you might be my child, but you're a chump right now. Some of you are chumps right now, you know it. I don't need to tell you, Holy Spirit's telling you right now, you're living like a chump. You call yourself a child of God, but you're living like a chump. You're not obeying God, and maybe actively or passively or both, you're leading other people to not obey God. If you want to be a champion in the kingdom of God, obey God, follow Jesus obey his word, and lead other people to do the same. It's that simple. Love God, follow Jesus, obey his word. Again, Jesus is making it clear that he's not in conflict with the law. He's not in conflict with the prophets, the scripture. He is the law, he is the scripture. So guess what? If you're following Jesus, you're obeying Jesus, you're following the scripture, you're following the law. They're essentially really one and the same. If you're not, you're disobeying Jesus. You're not following Jesus. Jesus wanted these people to understand that when you follow Jesus, that doesn't put you at odds with his word. Following Jesus doesn't put you at odds with his law. Following Jesus actually aligns you with his word. Following Jesus aligns you with the law of God, because when you embrace God's Son, you're actually embracing God's law. And when you embrace God's law, you're actually embracing God's Son. And when you get into the Old Testament, what you're going to find is that all that stuff in there that can kind of sound a little bit crazy sometimes, all those minute details of the temple and the sacrifices and the priest and the priesthood and the book of Leviticus, all that's pointing to somebody. You know the book of Leviticus. It's the one that stops you in your tracks every year when you're trying to read the Bible all the way through. Like Genesis X, you're like, man, this is good stuff. I'm going to make it through. And then Leviticus, right? But you know why it's important? Because every letter and every word on every line of every page in the book of Leviticus is pointing you straight to Jesus. This is what he's saying. It all has this purpose. It's all leading to Jesus. Jesus came not to lead people from the Old Testament. He came to lead people to the Old Testament. Because you know what the Old Testament is? Bless you. The The Old Testament is a detailed map. I mean, it is better than anything Google or anybody can come up with on your phone. The Old Testament is this detailed map that leads straight to Jesus and His perfect sinless life, and His death as a substitute on the cross for me and for you. It's this roadmap that leads straight to an empty grave. It's a roadmap that leads straight to the Holy Spirit coming down out of heaven in Acts chapter two, and the truth of God, the gospel, flooding all the nations of the earth. And ultimately the Old Testament leads straight to the redemption and the restoration of all created things for the glory of God and the good of His people. That's what the Old Testament is. In verse 20, look at it, Jesus says, for I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. He looks and he says, your professional righteous people over here, you gotta be better than them. If you're gonna get into the kingdom of heaven, your righteousness has to surpass their right. What is righteousness? Is it, is it just doing right things? Maybe that's a part of it, but righteousness really is about having a relationship with God. To have a relationship with God, you got to be righteous. you got to be in right standing with God. And Jesus says, if you want to have right standing with God, you got to have a righteousness that's even more righteous than their righteousness. Yours has to be better than what you think may be the best. And the people that heard that that day, their jaws must have went slack, hit the floor, like, what is he saying? Because in a roundabout way, what Jesus just said is, none of y'all going to make it to heaven. Right? If you got to have that kind of righteousness better than the best, we got to have more righteousness than the scribes and the Pharisees? Impossible. Because in their mind, that was, the, that was the top. It was the best. It would be like yesterday, my, my little girl, she's nine, Kalia, her little basketball team won the championship yesterday. Went undefeated all the way through the season because I was not their coach. But imagine had I been there, coach, and the day of tryouts had come along and I gathered all the kids up together and said, hey, listen, I, I know, you know, you're between the ages of seven and nine, but here's, here's the requirement. You make my team, you become a person on my team, your skills on this court have got to be better than Michael Jordan in his prime. And don't fuss with me. He's the GOAT, y'all. I don't care what you say. Can I get amen? Amen. Come on. I just thought I'd check that off the bingo card today. We amen to Michael Jordan being the goat. That's never happened before. These kids would go, there's no way. First of all, I'd have to explain to them who Michael Jordan is, right, because they don't know. But they would go, "There's, there's no way that we can do that. It's impossible. And when it came to the things of God, when it came to being righteous, the scribes and the Pharisees were supposed to be the goats. And in the eyes of the people, and, the, and certainly in their own eyes, they were the goats. And in Jesus' eyes, I think they were goats too, but in a whole different way. This is for another day. And Jesus just told all these people, if you're going to get into my kingdom, you've got you to be better than the best when it comes to righteousness. You've got to have a greater righteousness than they have. And I think when Jesus said that, it's sort of tongue-in-cheek because he's not saying that they're righteous. They were saying they were righteous. They, they had ascribed that to themselves. Jesus did not ascribe that to them. I think it's kind of tongue in cheek. Jesus knows their righteousness is only a self-righteousness. It's only a external righteousness. It's only a checking of the box and the doing of good things kind of righteousness. Because elsewhere in scripture, Jesus will say, they talk a good game, but their hearts are far from me. He'll say, they draw close to me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Interesting. The only people, by the way, who get into the kingdom of heaven, and here's what Jesus is getting at, are people who have righteous hearts. People who have righteous hearts, but nobody has a righteous heart. And nobody can modify their behavior in such a way that you can make your unrighteous heart become righteous. You could get a million lifetimes to try to master the art of transforming your own unrighteous heart into a righteous heart, and you're never ever gonna get that done. Jesus, in this roundabout way, is going, You're not gonna make it. You're not making my team, you're not making my kingdom. You're not going to know me. You're not going to have a relationship with me because nobody has the right heart for God's kingdom. Not me, not you, not the most devout Jewish scribe or Pharisee. None of us have that kind of heart. And then Jesus moves on and I'm kind of going, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You need to explain that to them, Jesus. And he doesn't. Why does Jesus do that? Sometimes Jesus just puts a hard truth out there and then he lets it sit on top of us just to feel the the gravitas, the weight of that, the heaviness of that. And and here's the deal, I wish that verse today, you and I would just sit under the weight of what Jesus just said. And I have this burden for the part of the world that I live in, that's kind of known by the the name, the Bible Belt. And, and, And I wish that I could just get all of my communities, my neighbors, all everybody around us just to sit under the weight of verse 20 where he says, for I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. Here's why I want everybody to sit under that for a minute and feel the weight of that. because there's this lie, and I think in my opinion, it's the biggest lie and the most dangerous lie down here, especially in the Bible Belt, and it's this lie. Good people go to heaven, bad people go to hell. That is a lie straight out of hell. Oh, he's a good old boy, you know, loved his mama and row tied and worked hard and (laughs) got his wings, hallelujah. He's, hold up, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't teach that good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell. And, And if that was true, that good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell, who decides what's good? And who decides what's bad? Who gets to determine the standard? Well, the only person who can determine the standard is God himself, and God's already determined what that standard is, and God has looked across all of humanity and said, there are none good. No, not one. God says there's none who are righteous. No, not one. He says all have sinned, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible teaches there's only one who's ever walked this very same earth that you and I are walking right now and who did it without sinning who did it perfectly in all righteousness, not only checking the box outside, but his heart did it too. Like it was true and real and right inside and outside. Only one who has met all of the righteous requirements of God, let me introduce you to him. First John chapter two, verse one. John says, my little children, he's writing to Christians, new Christians, like some of us today. In our relationship with Jesus, we're just kind of kind of starting out, right? Maybe you've been in a relationship with Jesus for a long time. How many of this will be true of you today? Just admit it. You say, I have known Jesus. I've been in a relationship with Jesus for a long time. But I think something's been going on in my life just in recent days that it's really just kind of getting real on a personal level. Anybody at all? Is that your story today? Okay, yeah, me too. I'm with you. All right. Here's what John says. My little children, I'm writing you these things so that you may not sin. See, if you're saved, you don't want to sin. Don't you dare ever think, well, I can sin, repent, and then I can just keep sinning. No. The heart has changed. We don't want to do that anymore. The evidence, the fruit of repentance is I will get up now every day for the rest of my life. And whatever the sinful desire in my flesh was that led me to that sin, I want to kill it first thing in the day. I want to beat the snot out of it every single day and every moment of the day because I don't want that fleshly desire to turn me back away from Jesus, back into that sinfulness. It's not repent and do it again, repent and do it. It's repent and fight in the grace of God. He said, my little children, I'm writing you these things so that you may not sin. But here's good news. If anyone does sin... Even though you're calling out to the Lord, you're fighting as hard as you can. You hate that sin. But if you do sin, we have an advocate as a helper, a defender. We have one who's standing up for us when we fail to stand up for God. We have an advocate with the Father. Who is it? Jesus Christ. Watch this. The righteous one. Do you see that? He didn't say one of the righteous, there is none other. He is the righteous one, and watch this, he himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. We're going to leave that verse up there for just a moment. I want to tell you a couple of things what John's saying here real quick. Number one thing John's saying is, hey, try not to sin, all right? We we want to give our dead-level best before God, by God's grace, with God's help, I want to be changed When we differ on try not to sin. I want to kill it, kill it, kill it. If you don't be killing sin, sin be killing you. So be killing sin, all right? So try not to sin. Number two, if you do sin, you have help. Jesus will help you. He's your advocate, your defender. The third thing that John is saying here is Jesus can help you when you sin because he never did because he doesn't have any sin of his own to deal with. Chris, he's got you, isn't that good news? Because he's the righteous one. And then the other thing that John is saying is Jesus can help you when you sin because he's the atoning sacrifice for our sins. He's the atoning sacrifice for our sins. He's the sacrifice for our sins. He took our place. It should have been me and you paying for our own sin. You know what sin, you know what the payment of sin is? It's, It's your life. In every way, in every sense of the word, Romans 6 says the wages of sin is death. That's what we owed. But Jesus sacrificed himself. He stepped in between us and God. He took our place. He substituted himself on the cross in our place. His blood was shed instead of ours. He sacrificed himself. And John calls him not only a sacrifice, John calls him an atoning sacrifice, atoning sacrifice. And you may go, I don't know really what that means, atoning sacrifice. Well, here's a cheat way to kind of remember what John means when he says Jesus is our atoning sacrifice. If you look at the word atone, you can kind of cut it down the middle and there's two words, at one. See we were unrighteous, none were good, separated from God because of our sin. But Jesus has come as the perfect sacrifice. His body was broken, His blood was shed to do what? To make what was apart at one, to reconcile us to God. He is our atoning sacrifice, and let me tell you, that atoning, what He did at the cross, to atone for sinners, to make us one with God, that work on the cross is another way that Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament. Now I know some of you are good note takers and you've been enduring this sermon. You're like, I, don't, I really haven't had anything to write down yet because you've just been rolling, man. There haven't been any points on the screen. I see you, Samantha. Like there's been no Roman numeral one and big capital A and little a and all. So help me out, Pastor. Can you give me something to write down? I'll give you something to write down. All right, here you go, Samantha. Then everybody can call Samantha this week and she'll send you a copy of her notes, all right? Real quick, I'll give you three ways that Jesus fulfilled. And here's maybe even a better way to say it. That means he filled full. Three ways that Jesus filled full the Old Testament with himself. It was just sketched out and he went in and he filled it full. He colored in between the lines with himself. He filled it full. That's what he means. Three ways that Jesus filled full the law, the prophets, the Old Testament. First one is this, he filled full all the prophecies. We've done that here before. We've gone through a bunch of the prophecies and seen how Jesus filled them full. We'll do that again in the future. Don't have time to do that today. Second thing, he filled full all the requirements of the law. Now the Pharisees, they had made up new laws. Those weren't God's laws. They were man-made laws. They accused Jesus sometimes of breaking laws. He might've broken theirs, but he never broke God's. He fulfilled God's law, filled it full perfectly, both internally and externally, by the way, inside and outside. He filled full the payment that sinners owed God because the first two are true. This one's true. He filled full the payment that sinners owed God through his death on the cross. What you and I owed God for breaking his law, Jesus filled it full. That debt, he filled it full. In other words, he paid a debt he didn't owe. Because you and I, sinners before a holy God, we owed a debt we could never pay. So Jesus filled it full. Jesus said, kingdom people, think different. Think different. See what he's saying here? Do you understand that? Kingdom people, Jesus said, do not think that I've come to abolish the law. Kingdom people think differently now. We know Jesus came not to delete it, but to define it with his sinless life, his atoning sacrifice, his victory over the grave. Kingdom people think differently now. We know we can't earn this righteousness. We're not trying to live better than the Pharisees and the scribes. We're believing better than the Pharisees and the scribes. Our hope is in Christ and in Christ alone. He is our righteousness and our righteousness alone. Kingdom people think differently. We can't earn our salvation. It's a gift from God, not of work, so that nobody can boast. Kingdom people think differently. They read their Old Testament differently. The imagery of the Old Testament and the laws and the priests and all those sacrifices, we know all of that is a roadmap that takes us straight to Jesus. And we know that we are one now at, with God, at one with God, because Jesus perfectly fulfilled the law fulfilled the prophets and fulfilled the payment that was due for our sin against the holy God. He didn't break God's law, but we did. And he took our place at the cross, exchanging my sin for his righteousness. Come on, that's some good news. Because I could not take away my own sin, abolish my own sin, so he just took it. And I could not earn a righteousness, so he just gave it. This is the gospel. And when that happened, y'all, you got a new heart. I know we like to say down here in the Bible Belt, I asked Jesus in my heart. That's an okay way to say it. I won't fuss with you over that. But really what happened is he gave you a new heart. A new heart. In fact, he made everything new about you when you trusted Christ as your Savior. Paul writes 2 Corinthians 5:17. therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. He didn't just spit on you, make a little polish, you know, how your mama does, spit a little spit and wipe the junk off your mouth. He didn't do that. He made you all new from the inside out. The old's passed away and see the new has come. Now, can I ask you this? Aren't you glad that Jesus filled full the entire Old Testament? Aren't you glad he didn't go, no, forget that. Here's a new thing. That's not what he did. In fact, let me just read today's text to you all the way through this time and see if this part of the Sermon on the Mount don't just hit you a little different now. All right, here we go. Jesus says, don't think I came to abolish the law or the prophets, I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or one stroke of a letter will pass away from the law until all things are accomplished. Therefore whoever breaks one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. Beautiful. What a sermon from Jesus. Let me give you a couple of last things to think about before we get out of here. First one is this. All of history is his story. All of history is his story. From the very beginning when he created all things to the very end when he recreates all things. It's his story. But do you know what we tend to do? we tend to try to write Jesus into my story. We tend to write Jesus into our story. That's what I want to do. I, I want to write him into to my life and tack Jesus onto my story. Here's, here's my problems, here's my situation, here's my dreams, here's my goals, here's my ambition. So I tell you what, Jesus, I got a role for you in my story. I think you'll be great in this role in my story. I've got this scene coming up in my life, and I want you to be a part of it. We do that, don't we? But we need to stop doing that, don't we? Are you listening to me? We need to stop doing that, because it's not our story. We're thieves, we're taking something that's not ours, it's His story. Who are we to think that we get to tell the Most High God what role to play in my story? Like he's sitting around waiting on us to invite him in to this scene of my story. We need to stop trying to fit Jesus in our story. We, we have these ideas and these thoughts and these goals, and these ambitions, and we got our family and all that. And we know all the good and we know all the bad of it. And we know how we're trying to create it and craft it and do it so that we kind of got this amazing story. And we want Jesus to come into our story. So our story's cooler and our story's better and our story's more interesting and it's more captivating. And maybe somebody will invite me to tell my story and it's not our story. We just made Jesus a special guest star in our story. Here's the deal. Jesus is not interested in playing a role in your story. What Jesus is about is you having your role in his story. That's the second thought. Let's embrace our role In his story and that's what I'm trying to learn to do most of my life that's not been the bending of my heart I've been raised up in the Bible belt I've been raised up in church and there's this whole pattern in my life see if you relate to this or not every once in a while Special church service, hit different, camp, whatever. Hey, Jesus, would you come play this role in my story now? I don't want to do that anymore. I want God to help me learn to embrace the role he's given me in his story. I want that for you too. Because that's the greatest way to live out our days on this planet, is knowing who you are in his story. And that's what Jesus is inviting us into. He's inviting us into his story where there's this cast of characters that are a whole lot like us. They're sinners like us, they're broken like us, they're doubters like us. A cast of characters like Adam and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and Joshua and Rahab and Ruth and Naomi and Paul and Daniel and Matthew and all of them. God's inviting us into his story. He's calling us to seek first His story, seek first His kingdom, seek first His righteousness. Some of you today, admirably so, and maybe even you came here today for this reason, because you are seeking out the best marriage. You're seeking out the best life the best family, the best kids. You wanna be the best leader in your community, in your workplace. You wanna reach your fullest potential and you think that's the story. And so you're arranging everything around that story that's your story. And you're asking Jesus to help you build your story and show up in it when you want him to. That's not the most terrible plan, but it's still a terrible plan because that's not God's plan. That's not what God is up to. That's not what he's doing. His plan is that what you would seek first before all other things is him, his kingdom, his agenda, his story and your role in it. God's plan is that you would embrace your role in His story because it's not about us. Some days I just want to throw a bedsheet over the name on that building out there that says Grace Life because it's not about that. And it's not about us inviting God into the Grace Life story, it's His story. Some of you already know this, but I got to tell you anyway, our role in his story isn't always going to be the one that you want. Your role in God's story is not going to be always the one that you would have picked out. Some of you today, God has given you a role in his story that had he led you to the closet where there were a million roles for you to choose from, you wouldn't have picked this one. Sometimes the roles that God gives us in times and seasons in our life, they're not the roles we would have picked, they're hard. Ms. Sheila sat right here in the first hour. She didn't choose the role of the wife that would lose her husband to cancer way too early. She didn't choose that role. My friend Jody didn't choose the role of being the guy that gets diagnosed with ALS. He didn't choose that role. That fifth grader that's back there in our kids' ministry right now that's in their sixth foster home for their lifetime, they didn't pick that role. That single mom that's busting her tail every single day to get it done, she didn't pick that role. Those grandparents Who dreamed of the visits from their grandchildren, but knew now who raised them and maybe even their great-grandchildren, they didn't pick that role. That couple didn't pick the role of infertility. You didn't sign up for the role of the guy that struggles with addiction every single day, and the shame and the guilt that comes along with that, you didn't sign up for that role. Listen, God could have given you all a different role in his story, and I don't know why he didn't. All I know is he must trust that you, in that role, will look to him and seek him and his kingdom and his righteousness. He must trust you, that by his grace, you will steward that role for his glory. And I know this, he's not through writing his story and he may not be through writing your role in it. And right now, I know it may feel like you got way more questions than answers. And I don't have the answers to your questions, but I do know this. His story and your role in it is not over. It is to be continued. And the waiting won't be easy. It never is. But he's worth it. He's worth it. God, I do believe that you're worth it. God, I pray today for my brothers and sisters who find themselves having been given through your sovereign hand a challenging role. God, I pray that your grace would be poured out on them and they would say with Paul, this is sufficient. God, that you would carry them through the scenes in your story that you've entrusted to them. God, I pray that today that for those who may be here and they've never trusted Jesus to be their Savior, that today they would turn loose of their own lives and embrace Him, trusting in Jesus what you've done at the cross, your blood that was shed, to make us at one with God. And God, I pray for those today. They know you. Like me, I've known you a long time, but I've wasted a lot of my life because I thought it's mine. I thought it's my story. And I thought my best days were the days that I invited you into my story. I thought my best days were the days that I invited you to play a role in a certain scene in my life. I'm coming to the realization, God, that I have not seen what you would have me to see, but I see it now and I can never unsee it. It's not my story, it's yours. And God, I pray that you would give us grace today to trust you with whatever role, God, you give us to play in your story for your glory. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed today, would you give Christ your life if you never have and enter into his kingdom, into his story? Nothing in this world like it. Not always easy, but I take his story over mine or anybody else's to be a part of every day and twice on Sunday. Or maybe you're here today and you're like this pastor who's figuring out, I need to set the pen down and trust Jesus to write his story and simply allow me to be a part of it in the way he sees fit? Would you trust him with that today? Would you set your story and yourself aside and embrace him, his kingdom, his story, his agenda? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I want to invite you to stand as we worship the Lord, as we respond today to God's word. Maybe today you need to give your life to Jesus. If if you have never trusted Christ and today you need to be saved, just come right here, right here in front of me. I want to talk with you for a second, all right? We're going to get started on the greatest journey of your life. If you're here today, and you know today's the day, I set down the pen. I'm not even going to the pencil so that I can erase it. I'm just emptying my hands and saying, Jesus, here I am. No more my story, no more my life, no more my agenda, no more my plans, no more my kingdom, but yours and yours alone, God, I'm yours. I trust you with all my heart. I'm not expecting it to be easy, and I'm not expecting it to always make sense, but I'm gonna trust you because you're trustworthy, God. And I'm tired of the other ways of living. This is it, God, for me. So let's respond to the Lord. Come on, let's worship him.